Welcome to Canada's podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Canada's podcast. I'm Rivers Corbett, the Atlantic Canada host. I won the jackpot hanging out with entrepreneurs from Atlantic Canada, and that's because I'm one of them too. So it's really cool today to have been chasing this lady for a while. And I got her today on her four-acre location where she runs multiple businesses in Nova Scotia. Uh, Lisa Draper Murphy has just, uh, I'm gonna, I mean, I can't wait to tell you the story behind her. So I want to dive in a bit before we welcome you, Lisa. Lisa is a Hollywood, Hollywood and Luminaries editor for, or for Story of Fashion magazine. She, uh, Atlantic Business Magazine. She's a top 50 CEO reward recipient and Progress Club Women of Excellence Award winner. Now, I, I got to tell you, I know that organization quite well. And to have that award is really, really amazing. Uh, Lisa operates one of Canada's only remaining completely vertical fashion houses, overseeing all aspects of design, production, and retail of her collections in five posh privately owned locations. So Lisa, we're going to dive right into how's it going? I mean, you say you've been kind of hanging out in isolation. Talk to us about where you're at right now physically, because I love the journey of entrepreneurship. As you you said before we get started, you said, we're not looking for jobs, so we can kind of do our own thing. So, So tell us where you're at. Well, I mean, I've always stayed in my own lane. Um, Never really been one. I guess that's typical of many of us entrepreneurs. But uh, always been thinking, looking outside the box and and trying to see things from a different perspective, which um, I started with my first launch of my very first independent collection was upon the discovery of some 50, 60-year-old unused vintage tailoring rolls at the um, warehouse of an employer of mine at the time. I was head of design for the company and okay. employees and management and ownership had been looking at this fabric that had been stored for 50 years and didn't see what I saw. Um, and I saw incre- an incredible opportunity um, that launched my very first collection. So talk uh, a bit about that. Cause that's, cause that's what, you know, there's, there's that visionary piece of entrepreneurship. So you saw what somebody else wasn't seeing. So can you dig a little deeper in that? Because I, I want to talk about the impetus of that great journey you've been on. Um, well, what, what I saw was beautiful, high-quality tailoring wools. Um, Harris Tweed from um, mm. Ireland and Scotland and the UK, beautiful um, plaids, hand-woven plaids. And um, I went to my employer and I said, I've, I found this fabric and I, I don't know why it's here, but I, I'm quite intrigued. Maybe I could try something with it. And right. he just said, oh, this has been here for years. It's just old. We were going to sell it off by the pound a couple decades ago and forgot about it. Okay. I said, well, why is it here? And he explained to me that his father was a, um, a Jewish immigrant from Poland who was a okay. started the company. And grew it from, you know, a tailoring a suit in a machine in the little corner of the room to um, expanding into dry cleaning and then doing um, service contracts for, you know, fleece shirts. And eventually they were a 300 operator manufacturing company doing bunker gear and technical industrial apparel for um, 
you know, uh, companies and, and end users all over the world. So they hadn't done tailoring probably in about five decades, but they still have right. popped up. And, and I said, well, let me just do something with it. Let me just play, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so some of my um, sample sewers and we put together about a dozen suits and like jumpsuits and dresses using all of this tailoring wool. And I called an impromptu um, lunchtime fashion show in the boardroom. Nice. Sample sewers came in and they became models. <laughs> and um, they, we did this show and everybody was so intrigued. They're like, what? I could never have pictured. <laughs> I think they looked at one of Get the it. And said, "I remember my father had a had a leisure suit in that in the '60s, and I had made dresses out of them out of the same fabric. So it was a, um, you know, a new perspective on some old fabrics. And uh, a lot of my colleagues thought, you know, this is not a good idea. Don't use vintage at the time right. in Calgary, and you didn't even shop in vintage stores and admit it. Right, so right. Vintage fabric was not a thing. It had not been done." But I thought that it was a great opportunity to use a, a high quality raw material without creating, re, you know, the demand for production of more raw materials. Like, let's use up this, this available, therefore sustainable material that can produce some gorgeous pieces. So that's what we did. We launched our first collection. And, and when you launched your business, you called it turbine. Is yes. that now talk about that? Because that's. You know, when I think of turbines, I think of industrial. I think of big mammoth machines. Talk to me about the, the rationale behind that. And, and why I asked the question is I find so many entrepreneurs just, you know, they just throw out a name and hope it's going to stick. And they don't understand. It's the identity of the business. So can you talk about, about your rationale behind the naming of your company, Turbine? Well, we were doing power suits for women. So ah. turbine generator and at the time we're back this is back in 1997 right um, no women's tailored suits like you you if you were an, an entry-level lawyer an articling lawyer or accountant or somebody that was breaking into their professional career out of university they were jumping from what they wore to the bar to graduating to wearing mom's suit from Braemar. right right no suits that reflected the style of a you know a 25 to 30 year old young professional woman. Right. So we boots that reflected that. And they were, um, you know, some of the first sort of boot cut suits and sort of some retro jackets. And as long as it was professionally made and professionally cut, we could reflect some trends and it, it took off. It was, it was quite a hit right from the start. All right. So Lisa, you started your brand originally in Alberta, but Back then, there was no World Wide Web at that point in time. So how did you bring Turbine to the marketplace in Alberta? And I know you're, you're hanging out in Nova Scotia now. We're going to talk about that journey, how you came across the country. But talk about the brand entry for Turbine into the Alberta marketplace. In the Alberta marketplace, well, I was consulting at the time also. I had sort of two companies going side by side at, at that time. I was 27 years old. I had just had my second child, uh -huh. um, nine days old, and I was called back on my maternity leave, which was to the factory that I subsequently discovered the vintage fabrics. So, so picture this. <laughs> I had just, I had a tiny little newborn. 
who I was bringing to work with me because yes. my, my maternity replacement hadn't worked out. While I was exhausted with this infant in my in my office with me every day, I yes. was also walking the, the production floor to try to help her fall asleep for her afternoon nap. So <laughs> Um, I love and I love it. I discovered the warehouse of vintage fabric. But at the time, I was Canada's only freelance um, consultant for technical industrial apparel design. So I was working for this company as well as consulting to others, caring for two small children, and I, I was also launching my first collection. Um, but to answer your question, to market it in Alberta without the internet, <laughs> without Facebook, yeah. media, anything like that, um, it was just a matter of doing something that caught people's attention. I, I recall you hanging your shingle and, and, you know, taking out the odd advertisement when you're a new business back then. You, were, you would have to do a lot of research. It was expensive and you could make mistakes. And um, so it was just a lot of word of mouth and a lot yes. of store events. And within about six months, I um, was also an industry expert on two international television shows. Okay. So it's always great for marketing a business if you have some validation and exposure that complements what you're doing and isn't, um, you know, you're not paying for that exposure. In fact, they're usually paying you for it. So I love it. that was a big, a big impetus for, you know, spreading the word and, and getting my brand out there. Um, I love it. I love it. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, what I love what you've, what you've said here is that you stood out, you were different. You were the unique kid in school. You high school is all about fitting in business is not. And you were comfortable to be able to do that, not only because of the value, but because of your credibility, you came with that. And I'm sure that you know a lot of the resolve and the confidence that came from you delivering that brand to the marketplace was shown. And and uh, then word of mouth take off, took off and, and allowed you to grow it accordingly. So Alberta, this is this is kind of a, an Atlantic Canadian story too. Can you fast forward? How did you get from Alberta to Nova Scotia? Well, back to the consulting. Um, while yeah. I was opening my stores, my turbine stores in Calgary, I was also flying to various factories across this country, designing anything from ballistics to bumper. Mm. Fighters, ski lumping gear, um, you know, for cave explorers, linemen's apparel, and doing these for every company. Actually, eventually, I designed the collection for every company in Canada that focused on that manufacturing. Um, wow. so not as I mean, globalization has taken away our manufacturing industry to a large degree in Canada, so a lot of that isn't produced here now. Right. But it was it was actually a, a contract that I had been working on and the company offered me the position of director of design and product development and offered to move my family and my entire business to, to Nova Scotia. So that's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> so you took, what did you do with your store in, uh, in, uh, in Alberta? Did you keep your store? Did you, uh, um, from what I'm reading about, you, you kept adding stores. So can you talk about that? One of my stores, I kept one of them downtown. Um, Calgary and right. I about a year and a half and I just found I couldn't I, I just found it too difficult to maintain the creative need that that it that it requires I mean right for most of us creative entrepreneurs and I mean it could be said that 
all entrepreneurs are creative, but especially when you work in the creative industry. Yes. Our energy, our creative energy is the oil that keeps our machine running. And right. I myself. I, it was too much. So I ended up um, doing the consulting, um, renovating a, a 250-year-old um, carriage house on our property. And I moved our entire company there. And I started, I opened a restaurant in it. I um, did our manufacturing, our retail, and we just traveled around doing trunk shows primarily. Um, but I wow. was the beginning of me trying to sort out, um, you know, cut through the noise of all of the opportunities because I see them everywhere. And yes. determine what I wanted my lifestyle to be. What wow. me, give me and my family a sense of balance. And that was one of the big reasons that I accepted the position and moved to, to Nova Scotia. Yeah, well, you, you touched on a lot of things here. Uh, one is you moved to a large, to a large um, um, land-wise um, location. So I'm intrigued with that. Opened up a restaurant. Uh, so obviously went against the norm there. You did not do it in downtown Halifax. You did it. You created a destination. Again, building your brand around that. Three, you talked about lifestyle. That was pretty important to you. So, you know, as busy as you are right now, well, let me let me back up for a second. You, it, when, in our original conversation, we talked about four businesses from where you are in your home now. Can you can you quickly touch on the four and why I'm asking that question, Lisa? Is because I want you to talk about lifestyle, how you're able to build a lifestyle for you and your family that you want, managing four companies, running four companies, not managing them, running them. Well. <laughs> How do I? Big questions. <laughs> I got to wrap my head around all of that. Um, yeah. It, it was challenging at first. Mm. And it still is at times. And the pandemic really egged my chain. Like I, it, it took me back to, I'd had to make some really big hard decisions um, just to, to maintain viability that were in, it, they were, in contrast to the goals that I had set for myself and was so adamant that I wanted to maintain, but now we were in survival mode. Right. Um, you know, there, there, it's never, it's not perfect all the time, but I'm, mm -hmm. it's, it's like a slot machine. Like you keep pulling the slot machine. <laughs> Every <it>. day. <laughs> like those three things are resources. Yes. And viability. Right. So all line up and I've got that all in my in my view then we start looking at at ways of of expanding on that and maintaining all of those things that balance and that passion and that viability so um um I mean yeah. that's what we've done with every business so, that so, and those, so those are those are key pillars for you to keep focused in on when it comes to starting and building your businesses which is fantastic which one's your favorite business that you're working in right now. It's it's they're my uh, they're all your children. I've got three children, and yeah. I get asked that question too. Which one's your favorite? All of them are. I get it. Yeah. Um, you know, it all depends. I've created this this sort of universe for, for myself. Yes. Um, whereby if I'm inspired by a certain aspect of, of one company. I can jump onto that and that can become the thing that fuels my creativity for a little while. As right. long as parts are, are in order, everything's working and 
things are made are maintained and running. Um, I get very, very focused and to the exclusion of almost everything else in my world. Right, right. So I, it, what's important to me is that also that I have a very solid team that that I can count on. I don't have to be micromanaging or making sure that things, you know, balls aren't getting dropped everywhere because my team are, are very, very knowledgeable and they're um, reliable. So let's talk about that, Lisa. You, um, you've, you're very integral in, in one, understanding the brand and then also uh, delivering on that brand promise. I, I uh, get asked this question a lot. How does an owner, how does a founder start to bridge that branding piece that they know so intimately and start to bring that to the team? Because you talked about, I have a great team. So how do you, how do you bridge that, that, that spirit, whatever you want to call it to your team? I think, you know, we've been fortunate. Like-minded people have been drawn to this company. Right. Uh, you know, where we are unique. We're, we're a vertical fashion house. There are many opportunities within the company itself to grow and learn and evolve. Mm-hmm. That started out as, well, I had, for example, um, my executive assistant for six years started out as a part-time cutter in my studio. Mm. So he was learning the basic construction and, and manufacturing skills and was so intrigued by the whole company and was a very, very big picture person that he ended up growing through the ranks and opened stores for me, Matt did hiring in Toronto. He did everything. He was involved in everything. Um, so I really watched, I watched people, I watched for what gives them that twinkle in their eye. And I try to move them in that direction. I've been criticized uh. for that on occasion, um, saying that that's counterproductive and you need to just tell people what their job is. And I disagree with that. Uh. Um, I know this for myself, um, that I will, I will work 10 times harder if I've been given a challenge that is exciting and passionate for me right. and opens up a door or potential doors for me. So I try, I try to do that for my team members constantly, constantly love- at what they're doing and what they'd like to be doing. And I listen to them and I ask them specifically for where they would like to see themselves or if there's an aspect of the company that they haven't had a chance to explore more and would like to. The um, what's coming to my head and you talk about focus, you talk about, I die, I can get very, uh, I don't want to say the opposite distracted. You're not distracted, but from what it is you do. One of my favorite sayings in working with entrepreneurs is that the turtle won the race slow and steady. And it seems to me that you've really adopted that strategy since 1987. Keep focus, keep moving, keep that direction, few direct distractions along the way, but you do not waver from those core fundamentals and the direction the company is going. Is that fair to say that? And if it is fair, how would you suggest that other people learn from that approach? Well, I think that... When I, I mentor entrepreneurs and a uh-huh. lot primarily um, in the retail field or in design, right. um, but others as well, there's a lot of transferable information, but I tell them to, to focus on paying attention, pay attention to what makes, what gives you that fire in your belly. Right. It's not all just about spreadsheets. It's not all right. just 
looking for a commodity that you know might be hot right now and let's jump like if you're not passionate about the the product or the process or you know the customer that it that that is going to draw to you then you need to rethink it so that passion is really important yes um, yes and, and uh, i uh, there are a lot of things that i i can't do so i will not open a business focused on those things you know i won't open a I'm not that athletic. I'm not going to open a, you know, a sports equipment store. <laughs> right. So how do you, how do you organize your team such that, that uh, you've got, you know, there's Jim Collins wrote a book, good to great. I'm sure you know about it. And it's talked about getting the right people on the bus uh, in the right seats. How do you, how do you know uh, where to put a person on your team? What's, what are some of the, the things you do to identify that? Because I think I see that a lot with entrepreneurs. They get great people. They're just doing the wrong things. How do you focus in on getting them to do the things that are they are passionate about, they're interested in? I know you ask them, but there are other clues that you look at when you're watching them. Oh, there's lots of clues. Just pay attention. Um, I give them the opportunity to see, to experience various aspects of, of the company. Like my retail team, for example, will we'll bring them out to Willowvale and Put them up in the suites and do team building exercises in the studio. Um, right. You know, months or so. And they're normally on the front lines in my retail stores dealing with customers right. with, in a very different atmosphere than what we have here. And sometimes they'll, the group will come out and somebody in that group is like, oh my gosh, this is where I need to be. How, what do right. I need to be here and be part of the production team? You right. Know? That love for fashion isn't just necessarily about dressing women up in clothing. It, it's about understanding how how to make it and how different fabric will react on in different styles and the how do you source the fabric and how do these machines work and how do you cut 300 garments at once? There's a whole backstory. And um, if you give your, your team members exposure to the broader company, you're going to learn sooner what what interests them. Right, right, got it. Willowvale. I was going to get into that, but turbine to Willowvale. Tell, tell us about Willowvale. Did I pronounce that right? Yeah, you did. Good. Good. <laughs> so Willowvale is. Um, it was our family home here in Nova Scotia. Yes. It was built in around seventeen. <clears throat> pardon me, seventeen eighty, and. Um, it had many iterations. It was a sea captain's estate. It was a, a boy's home for several decades. It was a birthing house uh, for about 100 years, fruit farm. Yeah. And then we bought the property, did um, some pretty major renovations and uh, some outbuildings. We have, we've done quite a lot here. And when our children were, were grown and moved out about six years ago, I started looking around and I thought, um, don't need all of this. I don't need this anymore. It's just a lot to do. Right. So what are we going to do? And I started putting my thinking cap on, my entrepreneurial thinking cap, and yeah. decided that we were going to turn it into a resort. So nice. I'm adding suites and amenities and a hot tub and gazebos and hammocks and fire pits and a sauna cabin and and more suites. And we've just been over the the, the span of about five years turned it into a boutique resort, and we host. Um, hundreds and hundreds of groups here, and you can book this the individual suites. We have part of the property that is ours. Uh, we yes. have 
it's not accessible and um, we make it work. It's, it's actually been really good. I thought, you know, we'll try this for a couple of years and, and it might be a nice way to create some additional demand if we decide to sell. And you can buy this property and you can live in it if you can afford it, or you can live in it and you can, and it's a business that you can basically own and operate. So someday that'll be the succession plan that this property will go to somebody who will take it to the next step. Oh, that's so brilliant. Talk about, so, so Willowvale is, uh, you know, what you've done, which is interesting, ladies and gentlemen are listening, is she just didn't turn it into a place to come and enjoy. She came in into, uh, she turned it into her, and her husband turned it into a place that was uh, nurturing, that helped people to grow, that helped people to connect and created a destination, not just a really awesome place to stay. And I, you know, I, I really applaud you for doing that's the business mind in you to, to look, to look where others didn't see going back to when the, uh, the gentleman originally who you didn't see what you saw in the fabric, you've continued to, uh, to focus in on that as your businesses grow. Lisa, talk to me about doing business in Nova Scotia. You have obviously got way beyond Nova Scotia borders doing business. What's the attraction to stay in Nova Scotia? And I say that because I love Atlanta, Canada. So I want people around the world to hear your answer uh, coming from your heart and your head. Well, you know, one of the main reasons for the decision to accept the job and come to Nova Scotia all those years ago um, was really the lifestyle here. Mm. I mean, it is beautiful. It's peaceful. We could sell our house in downtown on the Bow River in Calgary, downtown Calgary, 25 foot lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. House, you know, one of the oldest houses in, in Calgary, but um, very cute. But we sold that and for half the price, bought four acres in a sea captain's home here. Yes. Now it's sort of leveling out a little more. Property values here are, are you know, they're catching up to the rest of Canada. So, that doesn't happen quite the same way anymore. But um, I just thought, what a great opportunity. Buy some property in the country. Let the kids, uh, the apple trees to climb and, and you know, exploring in the, the nearby woods. And it was great. It was a great place to raise kids. How many kids do you have? Two. And they're two. 20, almost 30. Nice, nice. I've got two 23-year-olds and a 27-year-old. So same sort of uh, trajectory. How did you include them in your journey as an entrepreneur? How did I include them? Well, they were a part of, they've been a part of everything that we've done. I mean, right. we've done modeling for my shows and for television when she was about two. Yes. And, okay. Uh, and she has done quite a bit of modeling um, over the years. Uh, she's worked in our stores. My son managed our Toronto location for a couple of years at a university and um, they've been involved. Yeah, they're nice. living in South America with his partner right now, but yes, doing some consulting and he's done some IT work for us remotely. So even though he's kind of on a different path right now, he still has some ties and connection. I Helps. love it. That is so cool. I think, it's, I think it's a great education, let alone a great experience. And so good for you to do that. Um, one more question, and then uh, um, I'm going to leave with how do people hang out with you? Because more people are going to lean in and say, I want to learn out more what's going on with Lisa. But 
what were some of the things, what was, what was one thing that you had to totally change in your business because of COVID? Oh my goodness. That I had to totally change in my business. I, I, yeah. I pivots, the pivots right from the very beginning. Mm. We, I think it was even before the two, it was about a week before we were mandated for a two week, you know, flatten the curve that yes. many <laughs> in the business were saying, well, we're just going to close our stores for a week or two. Like we, we don't know what's going on. This is really scary. We, you know, we're just going to do the right thing and it's going to be really hard. And how are we going to survive closing for a mm. week? Or and um, I announced that we were going to do that. And I was sick to my stomach. I was like, what? Okay. Well, I'll just keep my staff until we'll just white knuckle it. But when you're operating right. retail stores, you don't just sort of pull, you know, all of those lost sales out of your back pocket and pay right. $20,000 in commercial rents with no revenue coming in. Uh-huh. Like it was really quite frightening. Uh, and then I received um, a, a message, a Facebook message from a friend who had a daughter who was working in the emergency room, an emergency room in New York City, and they had no yes. mask. And she said they were out of mask. She said they were wearing like hankies on their face. And oh she my said, goodness. You have a background in material science. I know that you did all of this technical industrial apparel and safety gear and you must be able to come up with something and i spent the next 48 hours researching um and i came up with a three-layer non-medical hydrophobic mask with a pocket for a melt blown um polypropylene filter um which was finally the final recommendation about six weeks ago was exactly what we introduced. Of course, of course. Yes. (laughs) Did you notice that ladies and gentlemen, she rolled her eyes. I saw that. And and, and you should have, by the way. Because I didn't take it lightly. I had gone through my entire career had been, you know, designing um, highly technical industrial apparel that yes. sometimes one component of that of a garment might take a year to test just wow. that one not even the whole garment so I took that very very seriously and I was really nervous when I saw some of the like the homemade masks that were that were out yeah. there putting you know the most porous fibers possible on their face which is cotton and bamboo um which you know, I, I I could go on and on about it, but mm, I, I bet you could. <laughs> I did. I launched one photo, a, a selfie of exhausted me wearing yes. one background of my studio. And I put up a photo and I said, I just said, um, <laughs> my team and I are working on this. Um, I know that some will find this controversial, which they did. I've, many people trashed me for Making of math. course, not, not following, not following the science, right? You know, <laughs> but um, um, we received orders instantly, and nice. and it shut our website shut down. I, I think it crashed about four times in the first. <laughs> Did it really? Wow! Top two percent of all Shopify um, websites worldwide for that entire month, and wow, were days for six weeks with no break. Not one break. Wow. So, wow. Uh, that was pivot number one. 
and I was able to keep seven employees working full time, um, which was my goal. I was trying to of keep them. Um, but then the government came out with all of these, you know, all of the CERB and yeah, give it again and figure out how to draw back our part timers who were making a lot more money, not you know, on CERB. Not working. It, not working. Yep. They're Crazy. They were getting from us for part time shifts. Right. Right. Well, it's I, I love I love the uh, again the ingenuity. I love the the can do attitude, but I particularly love the fact you saw something that everybody else didn't. And I think that's a real, you know, ultimately theme that came out of our conversation today is you seeing stuff, you seeing opportunity, you seeing things that, that, that drew into your passion and just doing it and then getting it out there. And so I love that story. I love that story. And I love the story, even against all the, uh, the, the people who trashed you, um, that's business too. And even in the good old days, you're going to get those naysayers, but you forged through that. And, and uh, so congratulations on your journey, Lisa. Um, I'm just thrilled to have this conversation. How do people hang out with you? How do they find you uh, on, the, on the space that you want them to, to hang out with you? Well, they can follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and I engage as much as possible. Um, you know, my my socials are managed by members of my team, but Great. I do there and I if anyone sends me a personal message I'll I'll respond and I'm also very open to anyone who wants to have a chat you know I'll make some time if they want to have a chat about how to recognize that passion and how to take those first steps nice I a lot of people come to me with those types of questions like yeah. how like how were you brave enough to take that step and become an entrepreneur and I'm like well I think I it's not bravery so much. It's um, I didn't have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's you know like, have you watched the have you watched the uh, the, the series eighteen eighty three yet? No, I have not yet. No, it's the pre it's the preclude to Yellowstone. Anyway, there's a there's a, there's a woman who's the main character in it, and her name is Elsa, and Elsa is a maverick. Elsa is a is a woman who's decided that that I, I'm. Proud to be a woman, but I'm also proud to be a maverick. And back in the Western day, you, my friend, are Elsa. And you need to watch that show because through and through, you are this amazing woman in this show. And for those of you that have watched 1883, you'll know freaking well exactly what I mean by that. So uh, you're, you're driven by more than...